Welcome to Data Remediations, a podcast connecting environmental data with people and places through stories and art. Hi, I'm Bethany Wiggin, a professor in the School of Arts and Sciences at the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm Patricia Kim, a PhD candidate at the University of Pennsylvania here in Philadelphia. We love Philly, not only because it's a place we currently call home, but also because it's out front on both civic tech and climate action. It's worth mentioning that Data Refuge started here as well. Yeah, especially in the absence of federal leadership on the environment, Cities like Philadelphia have stepped up on climate action and on issues around environmental data collection and stewardship. Remember, the city of Chicago took to safeguarding and making accessible research from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency's climate change website after the federal administration removed it from its websites on April 29, 2017. And think about the many cities and towns across the country whose mayors have pledged we're still in, that Americans will devise ways to meet the climate commitments pledged at the Paris COP21 summit in late 2015. In episode two, we're talking about urban sustainability networks and the life cycle of climate and environmental data. That is, how data are born, live on researchers' devices, get shared, or not, are preserved, or destroyed. We'll talk about rich data and poor data, including the correlation between what we've come to think of as analog poverty, that is, real lived poverty, together with digital poverty, the digital divide, and data poverty. Well, trying to make data interesting feels impossible, but, uh, you know, I salute you guys for doing your best. That was Daniel Aldana Cohen, a sociologist and founder of the Socio-Spatial Climate Collaborative at the University of Pennsylvania, one of the several experts we'll talk to today. We'll also hear from Daniel Castro, director of the Center for Data Innovation and vice president of the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. And Christine Knapp, the director of the Office of Sustainability in Philadelphia. So in this episode, we highlight the ways that cities offer beacons of hope in an American landscape currently lacking federal leadership on climate. And we consider the optimism, even euphoria, with which smart cities, civic data collection, and analytics were met and sound some cautionary notes. Current urban emissions data are not always great proxies. Christine Knapp talks about her data desires and how city residents can get better data. And Daniel Aldana Cohen talks about how emissions data can be paired with social data to understand more precisely where CO2 is coming from, which kinds of neighborhoods, which kinds of households. Doing so helps to understand power relations and how they shape carbon emissions and more robust data gathering. But before we get started, we want to introduce our new public research interns, Katie Collier and Grace Burroughs. My name is Katie Collier, and I'm studying philosophy, politics, and economics at the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm Grace Burroughs. I'm currently studying environmental management and sustainability, also at UPenn. We are very excited to be the first public research interns for Data Refuge, and we're especially looking forward to contribute to data remediations. Today's podcast in particular is specially timed for the month of Valentine's Day. 
the day we are reminded not to just support Hallmark, but show extra love and appreciation for people and data. This month also happens to be Love Data Month, and so we would like to extend a shout-out to our friends at lovedataweek.org. Because data can affect the people in places that we care about. So don't forget to love your data. So I want to pick up on the idea of loving your data. What does data have to do with care, commitment, and love? Remember that old axiom, love thy neighbor? Data collection and stewardship are one of the most powerful ways of showing care and concern for others. Data matter because they help shed light on public health issues, economic justice, and so on. But what happens when there is no or not enough data? As we see more and more data being used in society, do we see differences in where this data is being collected and used? That was Daniel Castro, one of the country's leading experts on the data divide, or the fact that lack of access to digital technology, often a result of socioeconomic poverty, can lead to what Daniel calls data poverty. As we kind of moved into this new, not just digital economy, but a data economy or data society, I had the same question about data. You know, where are we seeing gaps in access to data? And in particular, I was really curious about the fact that we were having so many debates around privacy and this question of, is too much data being collected about people? And we weren't really asking the, the flip of that question, which is, in some cases, is not enough data being collected about people? And is that putting certain people at disadvantages, especially in so many of these new services that are being developed that really require data. So if you want to have access to the best healthcare, if you want to have access to the best education, you have to have a lot of data collected about you. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on many of these opportunities. And also, you know, this idea of data poverty or even data deserts is something we also talked about, which is the idea that there might be individuals or groups who lack access to high quality data that's being collected or generated about them. And as a result, they're, they're really missing out on these social and economic benefits. You know, the methodology keeps improving and more data sources become available, more input is given into sort of what to include and not to include. That was Christine Knapp, Philly's Director of Sustainability. Later in the episode, we'll talk with her about the networks formed in solidarity to meet the emissions cutting goals laid out by the 2015 Paris Climate Agreement. But first, let's talk with sociologist Daniel Aldana Cohen. Daniel helps us understand that, despite improvements, we're still not collecting data that urban sustainability directors and many others want and need. A huge amount of big data boils down to getting all the available data that is publicly available and putting it together into one place. And that is awesome. However, if the data isn't made in the first place, if no one is going and creating this data, or if that data is not made public, then you can't combine it. So unfortunately, I think a huge amount of the data conversation that's currently going on presumes the availability of data sources that simply have to be combined and put into the same part of the, you know, of the computer. But the real problem is we're not actually collecting all the kinds of data that we need. It either doesn't exist or it's locked away on some private government server. And so what the problem is, is that you have a lot of people who are just going on the internet, downloading data sets and merging them. Great, all power to them. That is not solving the problem of data poverty, which is that that data might not even exist in the first place. Or in other cases, it isn't necessary to report certain kinds of emissions data, as Christine informed us. But we don't always have full data to capture. So 
Large industrial emitters have to report to EPA, but smaller ones do not. Not all industries and companies are required to report equally. Similarly, good data, that is helpful and useful data, don't exist for every neighborhood or community within each city. Where there tends to be less data and less good data is on the social science end. Where do these emissions come from? How should we correctly attribute these emissions to different kinds of human activities? Which kinds of neighborhoods? Which kinds of households? At its base, good civic data means good and equal representation. Listen to Daniel Castro. You know, when government has a role in setting what kind of information is collected about people, we're very inclusive in that space because it, again, it gets to this issue of visibility. If you don't know that a certain population is not, is being hurt or not being served, you can't fix that kind of issue. And government is still the, the leading data collector in, in so many areas. So it's, it's just going to be important that I think communities are, are vigilant about that issue and, and speak out when they're not being fully represented because if you don't have data to prove your case, you're not going to be able to have an impact in, in so many different areas of policy. So how are cities gathering emissions data? Christine explains that there are three scopes of emissions that cities use. Most stick to scope one and sometimes use also scope two. There's scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions that there's, you know, basically what the city directly produces itself is scope one. Scope two would be things like emissions associated with electricity production that's not in Philadelphia, but is used by Philadelphia. And then scope three are emissions that aren't here, but are made elsewhere, but because of Philadelphia. So if we manufacture a product and it's used somewhere else, um, the emissions are there, but we sort of helped create them. So there's, those are the sort of the three scopes and there's different again, ways to kind of determine which scopes everyone uses one. Most people use two, most don't do three, but very ambitious cities are now including three as well in their emissions goals. Cities are sharing their data at a variety of scopes across networks. There are many of them, and it sometimes seems like there are more emerging networks by the month. So yeah, we're in a lot of city network groups. So the Urban Sustainability Directors Network is probably my favorite because it's people who have my job um, or very similar job in about 170 cities around the U.S. and the lower part of Canada. We're also part of the C40 Cities Network, which is international, which is also great because, you know, getting outside of sort of U.S., especially right now at this time frame, is really inspiring to see what other cities globally are taking on and, and able to accomplish. I mentioned ICLE, so we're a member of ICLE as well. ICLE stands for the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives, a consortium of cities, towns, and regions worldwide who are committed to helping local governments build sustainable, equitable futures. But wait, there's more. A new one that I can't speak to the effectiveness yet, but we were just named as one of the 25 cities that will be in the Bloomberg American Cities Climate Challenge over the next basically two years to really focus on scaling up climate action in buildings and transportation sectors. And part of what will happen through this is they'll draw connections between the work of different cities that are similar. 
Because we have so much hope for these global networks, we wanted to know what we could do to help them and to help the sustainability directors, like Christine. We asked her to tell us how we and other concerned residents could help her and her colleagues. Well, I have a really answer to what Philadelphians can do to help us, which is to vote. That's like the easiest top line answer is you have to get registered to vote, you have to show up at every election, and you have to hold elected officials accountable. Speaking out against data poverty and striving for equal representation are only some of the ways that we can take action on climate and also how we can show love and care to ourselves and others. Looking ahead to episode three, we'll meet some Philadelphians who've been super savvy grassroots advocates for better data in their communities, particularly in the low-lying neighborhood of Eastwick, where historic wetlands were drained and where the water is now coming back. We'll also talk to Philly-based scientists who partner with engaged residents and public scientists working together to get better quality air data. A fundamental matter of public health here in our beloved city where too many kids have asthma. Until Until next next time. time.